Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello and welcome to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Connor Clancy, just in the door from Palma Torino, and I'm joined by my two best friends once again. Kev Pogazowski is my old friend, or Kev Pogazowski, should I say. Is that better? Pogazowski is the correct pronunciation, I believe, yeah. I'm, I'm going to try. It's difficult, but I'll, I'll try my very best. How are you keeping, mate? I'm good, thanks. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Clean shaven, haircut. Where? We- weekend, uh, <laughs> everything's been shaved. Okay, right. That's you didn't need to say that. You didn't need to say that again. We heard it once. You didn't need to tell the <laughs> listeners. Uh, we're also joined by Vito Doria, who is finally in Italy. Hello, Vito. Hi, Connor. Yes, today I am in Milano. Well, actually now it's very early morning. But I did get here in the evening and I was in Genoa for two days. I obviously attended the Sampdoria Inter game. But uh, today was a very busy day for me because I actually was being filmed by the Sampdoria social media team. I didn't know this. Fill us in. Okay, so the social media manager was aware of my tweets and I had also taken some photos. So uh, he organized an interview with me to talk about me being a Sampdoria supporter, going to the game and coming all the way from Australia just to see the team. So the, so the video should be out sometime soon on Sampdoria's social media accounts. Oh, that's really and nice. I, I didn't know that was happening. And I, he even asked me about my football writing podcasting. So I even gave all the guys here at Forza Italian Football a shout-out to. Top man, Vito. Um, I'm actually going to see you tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. We're, we're going to have lunch together in Milan. Yeah. 
yeah, with uh, Vieri and Dov. So nice get together, and then we'll catch up again in Parma. Yeah, absolutely. After what nearly seven years of working together, we're finally going to meet, which is quite nice. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, All right. Anyway, guys, let's get on with the action. Let's start with where I've just come from, which was a, a mad game at the Stadio Tardini. Parma 3, Torino 2. Bobby English, Roberto Inglese, he was dropped, but he came on and scored the winner in the 88th minute. Kev, what a game. Yeah, I, I, I was relatively busy tonight, but I kind of had one one eye on the game. I kept sort of turning around. I turned it on quite late. I saw um, the first goal go in really, really quickly. And then... It, it kind of had everything. It had red cards. It had penalty. Can we call them controversies? And almost injury time winners. It was, yeah, well, um, it had a first minute goal, a last minute goal, two red cards, two VAR penalties. One of them was missed, and the leadership changed three times. So, what more could you ask for? Absolutely not what you usually get from Monday night games anywhere <laughs> in the world. No, but I was going to say not what you usually get at the Tardini, but this season. Um, as you guys have seen, it's been quite dramatic down here, whether it's Atalanta or Parma playing at home. So it's, it's been quite good this year. Vito, it was the young lad did it again. Dejan Kuluzewski. Oh, he's, he's unbelievable. Last season, I thought when he made a few cameo appearances at Atalanta, I thought, uh, what's the fuss about this kid? He looked raw and very inexperienced, needless to say. Now that he is at Parma getting that playing time and spending time on loan at the Ducali, he has become an important player for them already. And in this game in particular, he was highly influential. In particular, look, he did score the opening goal, but I thought his assist for Andreas Cornelius' equaliser, I thought that was superb. Just the run on his part and then just that defence-splitting pass that was rather exquisite from the young lad yeah it really was you could see that the pass was the only real option he had but it looked it always looked quite difficult to execute and it was it was perfect I was speaking to um Uri Kuchka in the week uh, about Kuluzewski and Kuluzewski, he was kind of blown away by how good he is and he, he made the point of saying how young he is too he's, he's still 19 and I saw a tweet from Opta Paolo tonight that said he's the youngest player in the top five divisions to be directly involved in four, at least four goals this season. He's obviously got three assists and now his goal. Um, well, actually, that'll be four assists. I think that might have been after he scored, but you take the point. He's he's impressing and he's, he's still 19. And he's got a long way to go. I do agree with what you said about last season. Whenever he came on for Atalanta, I wasn't really too impressed, but then I saw him in the Primavera final down here at the Tardini against Inter and he was a cut above everybody else on the pitch. And then when he got loaned to Parma, I was a little bit excited. Although I was hopeful that he'd say it at Atalanta because I did right after that game that I thought he'd have a part to play, but wasn't to be. He's making a name for himself now, though, and you wouldn't be too surprised to see him go back to Atalanta next summer and earn his place under Gasparini. Roberto Inglese, Kev, he got his goal. He came on late and it didn't take him long to score. It was It's kind of exactly what he needed. And I, I think... With Andreas Cornelius also scoring his first tonight, which was a good finish as well. Um, this is exactly what Palmer were looking for. They've needed someone to score. Now both of their strikers have scored in the same game, and they usually only play with one. So they'll kind of push each other on now, you'd hope. Yeah, I think that's the benefit to Palmer is that they will push each other on. There were times last year, as well as Inglese played, he was their 
their only real option up top at times. And uh, Cornelius obviously took his goal really, really well tonight. And I think that's probably enough to maybe keep him in the side for the next next game. And we'll only push Inglesi on to want to sort of get that place back. So a bit of competition never hurt anyone. No, absolutely not. Um, I do I do agree. I think Cornelius probably has done enough to keep his place in the team. He, he wasn't always the most involved, but his hold-up play was just better than what Inglesi's has been in recent weeks. And Inglesi is obviously quite a fine striker. If he gets back to form and he's got an extra motivation to get back to form, then it can only be a good thing for Palmer. Um, Vito, I want to talk about Jervinho, because I'm not a Palmer fan, okay? But I watch Palmer more than most sides. Well, at least I have over the last, what, 13 months living here. He is the most frustrating player I've ever seen in my life. It's unbelievable. And is there any way that Roberto Diversa can drop him? I definitely can drop him because a club like Parma, under the current circumstances, really depends on someone with his pace, skill and X-factor. Unfortunately for someone like Gervinho, he is 32 years old, so it's come to a point where nobody has a chance to coach the selfishness out of his play. Uh, It really depends on any turn of results. They got the win tonight. But if they went on a really bad losing streak or that losing streak was caused because he would not provide enough assists or his shots were too wayward, then maybe he could be dropped. But I can't really see that happening. After all, he did uh, uh, provide the assist for Kulusevsky's goal. Whether that was the intentional or not, that's a totally different story. But I'd say it was not intentional. It absolutely was not intentional. And he even kind of celebrated the goal himself. this is Jervinho but the thing he seems to be really winding up the Palma fans at the moment which is strange because he was obviously so good for them for a couple of months at the beginning of last season and the club spoke so highly of him when he arrived but he's kind of he's really really irritating and they've got Jan Caramo there now as well so you'd imagine if if Jervinho's selfishness does get the better of him and he stops creating these chances then Maybe they will mix things up. Karamon, Kuluzewski, either side of the striker, could be quite promising. Um, there were two penalties. Both were given after the referee checked his pitch side monitor after being informed by the, the VAR man that an infringement had happened. I don't see much controversy here, Kev. I think there were both penalties. I'll admit to you, Conor, I missed the first. I literally saw the Torino player walking off and then um, Sirigu saved the pen. The other one, yeah, it was, it was, it was a clumsy challenge. It was, it was stupid when you weren't the, he wasn't the right side of the attacker to to make a challenge in the air. Um, yeah, I'd probably agree with you on that, but you'd have to tell me what happened with the first. To be yeah, the first one, Kuluzewski cut in up from the right, and he took a shot with his left foot, and there was it was Bremer ran out like this and put his head down, and the ball hit his elbow there. Um, for those listening, his his arm was above his head. It was silly. It was See, a penalty. I saw the players making that um, sort of body sign to the to the ref as to you know, and I I kind of just assumed that there'd been a free kick or something on the edge of the box, and somebody in the wall had lifted their arm. But yeah, if it's hit his arm, then you're going to get penalised. Um... It was quite funny because after the referee went and watched the clip back, and obviously in the press area at Palmer when the TVs are working, which they were tonight, we see what the referee is watching. Um, 
we could see it was quite clearly a penalty. And Armando Itzo was standing over the referee's shoulder while he watched the replay. And he came back on and Itzo was saying, no, it, it hit him on the shoulder. Everyone has just seen what's happened. It quite clearly didn't. And I originally thought Itzo had been sent off because I didn't see the second yellow get brandished and Itzo was kind of losing his head. But it wasn't him. It was Bremer who got sent off, having already been booked. But I think it was a straight red he was given, which is strange. So maybe he said something in protest. Um, before we move on, Bruno Alves needs help because Simone Iacoponi is not a centre-back and Roberto Ricardo Galliolo on the left is terrible. Um, so it's basically Bruno Alves on his own at the back and it's not going too well defensively for Palmer this season. He's still as good as ever. But anyway, we'll go to the top of Serie A. Inter are still there. Kev is smug, so I'll start with Vito. Vito, they've won six from six. Oh, it's a sensational start from an Inter perspective, and it's that cliched Conte effect by the look of things. He's really galvanised this squad, and uh, they were in uh, fantastic form, despite playing rather out-of-form opposition, but they deserve credit for the way they played their game. And although Stefano Sensi was involved in the goals and he had another fantastic game in midfield, I thought Marcelo Brozovic was also fundamental to their play. He covers a lot of ground. He wins the ball back. He's good in dead ball situations. And even if he wasn't directly involved in the goals, he was still involved in the play, you know, picking the right options and knowing who was the best teammate to play the ball to. Yeah, outside of the Inter fan base, Brozovic does kind of slip under the radar a little bit, Kev. Yeah, I've never really sort of taken much notice of him and maybe that's um, why he's so good because he just distributes the ball so well and just keeps the side ticking ticking over. And he, he was probably the one Inter player that probably had a, you know, I've not looked at the numbers, but a, a high um, success rate on his passing because while Inter have sort of got to this six games on the bounce without, you know, really flying, if you like, there's still misplaced passes going on around the around the team, and Brozovic just keeps them keeps them going and keeps driving them forward, and it's you know, like you said, like Vito says, Samp weren't great; they were sitting very very deep. Yeah, for sure. Alexis Sanchez kind of benefited from Sampdoria being quite deep. He got his goal. He claims two, but it was one. Kev, were you impressed by him? Well, he certainly looked a lot better at Inter than he did in his um, his latter stages of his career in England when he moved to United. Um, I thought it was a bit cheeky um, that he sort of claimed the first one. Although... I suppose technically, if it comes off a defender, it goes in. You know, he, he has to make the run for the uh, for the second one. He's got to anticipate that something's. I think he probably anticipates that the goalkeeper makes a save and spills it, so he's already on his way when Sensi takes his shot. And I said a couple of weeks ago about the amount of sort of shoot on sight um, efforts Sensi takes, and probably both both first inter goals came from that. And I think that alone can be maybe a little infuriating um if inter were to be facing say inter are facing juve you know and they've, they've got to do better than taking just pop shots from um outside the box it'll be interesting if they ever 
struggle to break a side down. So are you not convinced by them? Uh, I, I'm convinced with Conte's ability to get more than the sum of his parts out of the team. I would like to see them moving the ball a little smoother. You know, there's still a few misplaced passes. Players kind of run into the space that they're expected to. But I think that will come with time. We've got to remember he only came in, in in the summer. But, you know, have they really, really been tested yet? And I just wonder, with maybe a stronger defence, not that we can necessarily call, you know, Juve flying <laughs> at the moment. It's, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I still think that, you know, I've always been cheering them on, if you look well, let's not say cheering them on, but certainly I've been... Uh, <laughs> you think I've that would I've been backing them from since the start of the season, but I still, still think there is a another gear that they can they can hit if everything sort of falls into place. You spoke about them needing to overcome a, a sterner defence, but does one actually exist in Serie A? It's well, usually yeah. you, they haven't got it. Napoli is strong on paper, but we've yet to really see Manolas and Koulibaly show that. Roma, Lazio, Atalanta, Milan, no. It's a strange Oddly, when I was watching the game at the weekend, I was thinking, you know, because obviously Conte rested Lukaku and you know, I was looking at it and Lautaro and Alexis play very well together. But then also when you look at Lukaku in the Lukaku in the team, they play very well together. And I think for once, you know, there's been such a reliance on Acardi and it was you know, Inter had to play the way to get the best out of Icardi and they, he was largely their only striking option. Now they've actually got the the option to 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 mix it up up top and actually not have that one way of playing. You know, rest a player. I think that's a that's a huge benefit to them this season. If one of them was to get injured or, yeah, well, or suspended, that's <laughs> it, it, likely. It, so it turns out Maro Icardi was actually Inter's biggest problem on the pitch as well as Alpha for all these years. Who knew? That's a, that's a amazing. Vito, <laughs> you were there. What yes. did you make of Inter? Inter, look, I thought at the start of the game, it just seemed like it was another game for some that we started off okay and then after 10, 15 minutes, we just lost a bit of confidence after missing a few chances. And then, yeah, Inter really... Uh, clicked into gear. They were able to pass the ball out from the back rather comfortably. And also just the way they would move, especially in that final attacking third, they looked very lethal and they could easily stretch the defence. So although Sampdoria have a shambolic defence, I think generally speaking, with the players they've got and the way Conte has drilled this side, I think against stronger sides, they still have that understanding and ability to you know, stick to the 3-5-2 when necessary. But if they got to you know, change positions, break the lines, that sort of stuff, interchange positions, uh, they'll stretch uh, even stronger defences this season. And I think with the individual talents that they have there now, um, I think... Uh, into the more than capable of scoring a few goals and earning more wins. We're going to Vito, go. Yes. Okay. Um, as a Samp fan, were you a little disappointed with the effort put in by the home players? Uh, by the majority of them, yes. Inter team, 
you know, that are going to work hard, move the ball quick and press intensely. Uh, one of the things that really caught my eye because I was in the Gradinata Nord was I could see the interdefense and the Sampdori attackers. Um, I noticed that whenever Inter got a goal kick, Handanovic could play short to De Vrij or Brozovic, and they could easily pass the ball from the back without much pressure. So I was really disappointed that Rigoni or Quayarella, I don't care that he's 36, they should try and press them, shut them down and stop them from passing the ball around. So even though we couldn't get much fluidity going midfield, at least try to pressure into and deny them space. We hardly saw that on Saturday evening. And if you're not going to play well or play good football, at least show some effort, show some aggression and Pressing is a fundamental part of the modern game, and we barely saw that. We only really saw it in the second half when Sanchez was sent off, Caprari came on, we moved the ball a little bit quicker, but it was too little too late, and under the current circumstances, I think the confidence throughout the majority of the squad's completely shot. I think this might be something that you just have to accept with Fabio Quagliarella, though, considering he's, what, 36, 37 in January? Yeah. Um, if he's going to be closing people down, he's not going to be able to score goals because his legs will just be shot. I understand that with Quagliarella, but on t- on the TV, it looked as though Sampdoria were playing at a different pace to Inter. And it didn't look as though it was because, um, you know, Inter were pressing that much more intensely. It actually looked like Samp almost were, dare you say, like conserving energy because they'd kind of given up hope almost from from quite early on. And I think it looked as though Di Francesco had gone with a 3-5-2, but they were sitting so deep in a line of five most of the game that it looked like they were playing a very deep 5-3-2, which didn't really allow for more players to be around the inter midfield and press them. So it just looked like A, Di Francesco had got his tactics wrong and the Samp players never really had that much belief in themselves to really go full throttle. Yeah, what's next for Samp, Vito? Because Di Francesco's under a lot of pressure. There are a lot of reports now saying that the game at Verona will be his last chance before getting a sack. Jan Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. If if Italy was like England, you know, you wouldn't rule out a swap between the two clubs. But unfortunately, if a, one club sacks a coach, uh, he can't be hired by another in the same season. So. Can't see that happening. There has been a rumour that Beppe Iacchini, the journeyman coach, <laughs> could be brought in for a quick fix. But I think that's a bad idea because as far as I'm concerned, it's not overly Di Francesco's fault. At the end of the day, I still think Massimo Ferrero is the problem. And now there's more speculation that uh, Vialli and the group that he's with, they haven't put in a proper bid for the club. So again, the whole ownership scenario is just uh, impacting on how the future of the players is going to be. So it's a little bit disappointing in that regard. But even with the Di Francesco, I think, you know, let's say he stays, um, he's got to focus more on how we are in possession because I think defensively, those players individually are beyond help. You could get Nereo Rocco, Helenio Herrera out back from the dead or 
get Giovanni Crapattoni or Fabio Capello out of retirement. You cannot teach these defenders anything. They are useless. Hopefully we sell them in January or at the end of the year. And if we're still in Serie A by 2020-21, hopefully there's more money spent on defenders because the current bunch are just absolutely not up to standard for Serie A. And in a league which has made a reputation for strong defending, they are the complete opposite. Yeah, it's a real worry for them, for sure. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, Milan, Fior- <laughs> Milan Fiorentina. Milan are funny again. The- you can't look at this in any other way. We'll talk about Frank Ribery in a minute because he was fantastic again. But AC Milan, Kev, they are horrendous. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're a comedy act now. Um, from you know, from just top to bottom, from behind the scenes, you know the the, the players that they that they have there. The fans don't want some of the players there. They turned on Suso. Um, from what I understand, on on Sunday evening, and, and I just don't see where they go. It, you know, I uh, don't think the piece I wrote is up, but they they really need to sort of bottom out and sort out what the actual problem is. They need to have a a, a strategy and a sense of direction where they want to go. If the money's not there, they need to find the right coach and give him the time to actually develop the team. And I. Not sure if they actually have the right coach in Jam Power. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, yeah, 
I, I'm inclined to agree. I do really like what he did at Sampdoria, and I think it's always too harsh to write someone off after six games. But it just doesn't seem like this is working in any way whatsoever. Because there's not nothing. They haven't shown anything in any of their games this season. They've won twice, but they were, correct me if I'm wrong, against Verona and Brescia, against two newly promoted teams. So correct. They're, they've lost four games this season. And it doesn't even look like there's going to be any signs of progression anytime soon. I'm a little bit annoyed that Atalanta haven't had the chance to play them yet because you'd imagine they'll sort of things out whether they sack Gianpaolo and get someone solid in soon. But they go to Genoa next. And then after that game at Genoa, they're back at the San Siro against Lecce. So they have the chance to pick up some points in the next few weeks. But would that just be kind of glossing over things, Vito? Absolutely. I think uh, that Gianpaolo, more than anything, his man management's not really the best. And I still, I'm not convinced about his strength of character. I think he needs to bench a few more of some of the old guard. And we're going to sound like broken records, but I think Suzu and Chalkanoglu, they have to be dropped. Uh, they are two creative players. They do have the ability, but whether it's the mentality or the mindset, they're not putting the effort in and they're not influencing games. They're just so inaccurate with their passing and their shooting. And instead of being two players that have to lift for Milan and elevate the quality of the team, they're the two that bring down the Rossoneri the most. They are both liabilities to that team. And as bad as Gianpaolo has been, I think Suzel and Chalkanoglu are the main parts of the on-field problems. Well, it was Chalanoglu who gave the ball away for the Fiorentina penalty that opened the scoring, right? And I saw a tweet from someone moments after saying that Chalanoglu has been the best Milan player on the pitch. I'm thinking, are we watching the same game? Because I haven't seen Chalanoglu play well in a long time. I think he's been kind of getting away with it for quite a while at Milan. And he had excuses made for him because he wasn't playing in his favourite position. But he's just not been good enough. Nobody at Milan, I think has been good enough, but I'm sick of it. But let's not do this this week, shall we? Frank Ribery, Kev, he's phenomenal. Yeah, I must admit, um, like some other people that I've spoken to, I don't think I was expecting him to have the impact that he's that he like, looks like he's going to have at Fiorentina because, let's face it, at, at Bayern Munich, he struggled with keeping himself fit. He became a bit part player towards the last couple of years there. And you almost thought that Fiorentina might have been getting, well, not that they got sold, but they might be picking up uh, a sort of um, somebody that was going to end up being a dead weight for them to carry throughout the season. People just watching him sort of spend time on the sidelines, not able to get fit and contribute. But, you know, that um, that goal of his really sort of showed everything that he was about in his pomp, really. Yeah, even the, the goal he got against Atalanta was so nicely taken as well. He's, he's a really, really good player. Um, and he is adding a lot. The combination play that him and Federico Chiesa show sometimes is a joy to watch as well. They kind of seem to be on the same wavelength, which not many at Fiorentina were in the last last season with Chiesa. But Fiorentina could be okay. Um, what are we predicting from them? Challenging for Europe? Uh, yeah, yeah, wasn't um, wasn't Vieri at the start of the season thinking about Europe? I thought they might they might still struggle, but. Um... Yeah, if they can, if they can really sort of 
get their run together going now, I mean, I think they'd be okay. They can maybe push for Europa League, but not much more. Mm. Juve beat Spal 2-0. Um, convincing, but not convincing, I think it's fair to say. Etric Barisha was excellent in goal for Spal, so this could have been a lot worse for the Bianca Turi. But Vito, is this the most Maurizio Sarri-like performance we've seen from Juve? Look, at the moment, you can probably say yes, because he, he's starting to use Aaron Ramsey now, and looks like he's starting to settle in a fair bit. And then you have Ronaldo and Dybala, and probably having them in the team probably will make uh, the play more fluid than having Higuain, which probably sounds a bit strange considering how many goals Higuain scored under Sarri at Napoli. Now, at the moment, look, I suppose with the 2-0 scoreline, it doesn't look overly impressive. But I think due to Berisha's heroics, the defeat probably could have looked a lot more embarrassing for Spal if it wasn't for him. And it's not the first time, too, because uh, Berisha has been excelling in quite a few games for the Spalini. Yeah, well, against Atalanta, he was the reason that they ever had the chance to go 2-0 ahead. He was amazing against but anyway, um, I don't really want to talk about Juve this week, unless you guys want to say any more. Kev? No, not really. It always follows the same sort of storyline. You sort of watch the game, not hoping, but it, it has a bit of interest while they've not broken the deadlock. And as soon as they've broken the deadlock, you kind of just take your eyes away from it because you just, you're adamant that they're then going to go and pick up three points. Yeah, that's how it works, isn't it? Um, and no to Miralem Pjanic, another great goal after his fine strike against Brescia as well. But um, who are third? Atalanta, they beat Sassuolo 4-0. Um, but really, they won 4-0 in 35 minutes and then decided to stop playing because they've got the Champions League. What a performance that was, particularly from Papu Gomez. Kev, <laughs> wow. Have you got five adjectives to describe his first goal? Uh, oh, wait there. No, I was supposed to. You were uh, supposed to. Vito, have you got your five adjectives? I did come up with them, but now I have to refresh my memory. So you guys are terrible. Wonderful, direct. rapid, incisive, direct, delightful, and damaging. <laughs> Kev? Uh, no, just let's just talk about how good he was on the on the day, shall we? Was otherworldly. It was phenomenal, and he did the same thing he did against Parma last season, which was not really play in his usual position. It was quite noticeable early on, um, even before he scored, which was after only what six minutes or something that he wasn't playing as a ten. He was playing almost at the base of the midfield, like splitting. Um, who was it that played? It was Freuler and Pasalic as the two. And it was strange, but Sassuolo didn't know what to do. You could see the players kind of pointing at him. No one wanted to take responsibility for him, and no one knew whose responsibility he was. And then when he got that ball, what was he, about 40 yards from goal? And he just drove at Sassuolo. He skipped past one of them, knocked it through another's legs, and then lifted it over Andrea Consigli. It was, it was clear that it was going to be his day, and he was just playing games. So you were you were at the game, Connor. And mm. Would you say that was Gasparini's decision or Gomez's? Because it was quite early that he was playing so deep. But there was, I was, I, I couldn't, 
I couldn't work out from watching on the TV whether he had seen something because I think he's got that ability to read the game that he sort of sat back and took that deeper role or whether it was so early in the game that it was actually a ploy by Gasparini to sort of have him do that dictation from from further further back. Well, like I said, it's not the first time we've seen it. So I think he and Gasparini do kind of have an understanding that he doesn't really have to stick to his position, especially when he's the the 10 behind Ilicic and Zapata up front. He's kind of got more free reign to to wander and float around in search of that space because once he has space on the ball, he can do anything from anywhere. So I do think it's a it's something that they've both come to together because, yeah, he doesn't always play in his position, which is strange because even if you go back to the first season they qualified for Europe, he was very much a left winger. And his thing was he'd cut in and shoot or cut in and cross um, or win penalties. Last season, it changed a little bit. He went more central. This season, he's very, very central and he very rarely wanders out onto the wings. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably something they've worked on together. They're, they both seem quite happy with it. And it's not like when he was doing it, Gasparini was shouting at him, asking him what he was doing. So I don't think he was going against orders or anything like that. But it was 4-0 after 35 minutes. It, this is it was mad, but it's not mad because it's Atalanta and they do crazy things, Vito. Yes, and it also, it's not the first time that uh, Atalanta yeah. has really smashed Sassuolo because the same picture last season was a 6-2 victory to Atalanta. So, especially while Roberto De Zerbi is the coach of Sassuolo, Sassuolo are a team that are going to score a lot of goals or they're going to concede a lot. And then, of course, facing Atalanta, who score a lot, I think... Uh, you know, anyone who had put money for a nil-nil draw would have lost a lot of money because Atalanta, they know how to put on a show and uh, Sassuolo, they can put on a show themselves or they'll let you put on a show. And they let Atalanta weave their magic, especially Papu. Yeah, I was going to this thinking that I might be in for a, a 5-4 or something because, like you say, both teams score and both teams can concede. But after about five minutes, I just knew, okay. This is this is only going one way, and then when Gomez did that, I was thinking, okay, right, Atalanta will be okay today because he's on it, and when he's on it, they win. It's usually that simple. Duvan Zapata probably could have scored four. He got one. Um, yeah. But yeah, the second half they just stopped, and Kev, I suppose you can't really blame them given that they play Shakhtar on Tuesday evening at San Siro. No, it was like um, like a few teams with Champions League or even European commitments that I've seen this year that. If you get a lead that quickly, um, you know, out of attempting to sort of blow a side away or just out of pure luck, there is no real no real need, is there, to, to put any additional effort in when you've got a big game coming up. Yeah, I had an argument with someone in the press box about this at halftime. Someone came up to me and he just kept saying, Otto, Otto. I was like, no. He said, yeah, here, eight. And then he asked, how many do you think? And I said, well, five maximum. And then he was cursing at me in Italian for predicting such a stupid score. And that was probably like, based on Sassuolo's defending, though, to be fair. Yeah, but then I said, well, they're playing in the Champions League on Tuesday and they've lost their first game, so they kind of need to conserve their energy for that. And he was having none of it. But I'm I... surprised by that 
because usually Italians do the other way around. They would have your way of thinking and uh, it would be weird for Italian people to go, you know, let's see an 8 nil. But me personally, as much as I would have liked to have seen an 8 nil, for the circumstances you mentioned, it's not really necessary. Maybe if Atalanta did not have those European commitments or it was like a week off or even the international break coming up, then maybe Gasparini would say, hey, keep going, let's get eight. But I think, uh, you know, after the Dinamo Zagreb defeat, I think Ladea have to find a way to atone and being the first home in inverted commas fixture mm. against Shakhtar Donetsk, um, I think Atalanta got to focus on bringing some pride back in Europe and showing the continent that they can bring that spectacular football to the Champions League and not just produce that stuff in Serie A fixtures. For sure. It, there was quite a funny moment, actually. A funny five moments with hindsight. But if ever there was something that summed up how chaotic this Atalanta team can be. 4-0 up and cruising in Raggio Omelie against Sassuolo. And when they conceded, they genuinely panicked. For five minutes, they were <laughs> terrified. Gasparini was going crazy. The fans went silent. The players were losing their heads. It was... Very, very funny. And I, I even messaged Dov to say, Sassuolo are going to come back here because Atalanta just lost it. But it wasn't to be. They held on. Well, not they held on. They, they comfortably saw it out, to be fair. But another team who scored four goals this weekend are Lazio. Vito, they looked pretty ruthless. And Chiro's back. Yes, he's back on the pitch. He contributed. Um, he set up the... the... Malinkovic-Savage goal, if I'm not mistaken, and he got the fourth goal, so that was a very well-taken strike. And, yeah, he even hugged uh, Simone Inzaghi after he scored, so that was really good. Otherwise, in general, uh, Lazio were the more clinical of the two. General had some chances, but Strakosha made a couple of good saves. But it's important to see Immobile, Malinkovic-Savage scoring, then Caicedo, he scored a nice goal from a tight angle. So when you got him contributing, that's something. And then Stefan Radu, out of all people, I was looking at Twitter and Alistair McKenzie, who was at the game for FIF, um, he was rather shocked because Radu doesn't score many goals in general. But the goal he scored was a well-struck ball, uh, oh, was a well-struck shot and pretty nice finish. Yeah, it was. Kev, were you impressed? Well, by Radu's strike. By the lot. Yeah, um, yeah I think we've, we've, we've talked up Lazio for Champions League uh, challenges this year. And, and it was, you know, from the highlights I saw, it, it was very much they were clinical in front of goal. Um, Strakosha, like Vito says, made some, some decent saves at decent times when it was sort of only 1-0 um, or 2-0 two, two and then Genoa could have maybe launched a fight back. But... They, they just haven't got enough up up top, Genoa. And, and Lazio, if they can keep this tight at the back, then I think they'll probably be in the mix with probably another five or six teams for Champions League. Yeah, Champions League. I think it's probably what they should be aiming for, to be fair. Um, Napoli 2, Brescia 1, Mario Balotelli. This was beautiful. He, his daughter obviously lives in Naples and he carried her out before the game and she was wearing a Napoli kit. Napoli won two one and Balotelli scored, so his daughter's probably happy here. Yeah, I imagine so. I hope she was 
quite happy with the uh, the entertainment on show at the San Paolo because it was it was it was quite a good game. I think I, I tweeted mid game that there were so many goals that were being disallowed by VAR and, and everything else that I was forgetting which ones had counted and which ones hadn't. You had the, the man and less handball, and then he got his own goal. Um, you had the wonderful strike by Tonelli that. Yeah, it was a real shame that that got ruled out for a foul in the build-up because that actually would have probably um, put the Freutners up Napoli for a bit because they weren't really that convincing when they were trying to find a way past um, past Brescia. They do this sometimes, though, right? They They don't always convince, but they still find a way more often than not. Yeah, and I think... I think you were mentioning it the other day about the, the unseasonable warmth in Italy because they stopped again for a water break midway through the game. And and a lot of the players on both sides looked kind of physically, not struggling, but sort of drained by whatever temperature it was in Naples that day. Well, and, I'm, um, I'm considerably northern in, in Parma. And today is the last day of September and it was 28 degrees. That's mad. It's absolutely mad. So I can imagine that it was a bit hotter than in, in Napoli. But, yeah. Both, players, both, both sets of players had to cope with that, though. And, and, and Napoli still did struggle at times to break, break Brescia down until that sort of classic Napoli move. Ball out into the right-hand side with Callahan coming in and he either sort of whizzed it across the box. This time he cut it back for Mertens to just smash past, uh, smash past the goalkeeper. Mm. Classic Napoli. Classic Napoli. Elsewhere, Roma got a win down way, way, way south at Lecce. Um, but Lecce were okay, Vito, and the, the promoted sides continue to, to do all right. Yeah, well, Lecce, they didn't necessarily get blown away by Roma. And, uh, yeah, they actually do show some rather good comfort on the ball. Uh, one particular player that was impressive was uh, Falco. Uh, he's a rather nippy type of player, quick with the ball on his, at his feet and uh, can pick a pass. So I think, um, yeah, along with uh, Mancoso, he's probably one player that really makes them tick. Well, if it wasn't for man of the match, Chris Smalling, maybe, maybe Lecce would have got something, but he was quite good. Yeah, well, I, I watched the game and I thought, wow, Roma actually having to contain Lecce here. I'm not sure if I quite had Smalling down for man in a match. It's just that it got fairly widely reported on a few podcasts and things I listened to here in the UK. Um, yeah, I don't know. English English players generally don't travel very well, so I'm quite surprised to see Smalling getting some good press in Roma. I actually have to pay more attention to his performance rather than them struggling to break down the opposition, maybe. Yeah, you would hope that he does quite well because you're right in saying that English players usually don't travel. I'm sorry. Vito, you look like a deer who's just been caught in the headlights. Um, I don't know what happened, but just when you turned to the camera there, it really threw me off. Are you okay? I'm fine. Um, unfortunately, I forgot to mute my mic, and that was because I was looking at my copy of La Gazzetta, which I bought today, as well as Corriere dello Sport. And yes, La Gazzetta gave Jacko the seven, who scored the winning goal, but Smalling also got a seven out of ten. 
10 recuperated balls. And he was described as robust. Salmon's quite good from Gazetta as well, to be fair. Definitely. The ratings out here aren't the most generous. Seven's quite good this morning. Yeah. Kevy, okay? Yeah, I was just saying seven's quite good for Smalling. Yeah. I've really never rated the young man, but... He was good for a year at Fulham, and then not really Yeah. Udinese beat Bologna, 1-0. I mean... Santander played. There you go. There's the reason. Do we have to talk about this? Probably not. Uh, Other than that, I'm actually happy for Stefano Akaka. I've always liked him since he joined some, but he's the only... He's got his own strengths and weaknesses, but yeah, well, he plays for Udinese, so that's the major downside. His only we'll strength is his strength. He's strong, yeah. and that is it. Mm. But he's another Santander. Can't stand that. Yeah, he's better than Santander. Come on. I, I just really feel for Bologna. I don't know. You know, I, I spent a few days there last year, really fell in love with the city. They were playing some wonderful stuff under Mahalovic last year. I bigged them up at the a couple of weeks ago about how well they could do, and I just hope it's. I hope they're not just going to do their their usual and have a really sort of topsy turvy season. And I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more from them. It's a real concern though, isn't it? Because it's not mm-hmm. an ideal situation for them, obviously, given Mahalovic's um, health issues. But it's not going to be easy for them to do very well considering they don't have their coach with them for most of the time. Now, I reckon it might be affecting them, and uh, it might have some long-term effects, or at least some effects throughout the remainder of this season. Hopefully they can turn it around, because when they have been informed, they've played some excellent football, and although the strikers left a lot to be desired, they do have a pretty good midfield there and some rather exciting wingers on the day so hopefully they can bring some spark sooner rather than later yeah and as kev alluded to the city's fantastic the fans are great stadium's beautiful so it would be nice to see bologna do something good this year um lastly Cagliari and ellis verona drew one each but it's Cagliari and ellis verona they're not going to concern anyone so let's not talk about it um That'll do, I think, guys. I need to be up very, very early tomorrow morning, and I'm still a long way away from getting to sleep tonight, and it's gone. It's, what, one o'clock? So we wrap it up. Cool. Yeah. Okay, that works for You're me. cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, done. Yeah. Call so, Vito, I will see you in about 12 hours in Milan for some lunch. Yeah, it sounds great. Looking forward to it. Are you going to the Atalanta game tomorrow evening? Uh, I am planning to. Only thing is, I have to purchase my ticket. But I read that the ticket box, op- uh, the ticket office around the Sun Seattle is going to be open for about three hours before kickoff. So yeah, I should be able to get it. There yeah, should be tickets will. available, right, Kai? There absolutely will be tickets available. Yeah, it's San Siro. I mean, Atalanta's home ground holds twenty-five thousand people. The city only has two hundred thousand. San Siro holds nearly half of the population of the city. There was some confusion on British TV here this weekend that one commentator said they'd be playing um, Shakhtar at the Tardini. Then you confused me by saying that you'd be at Antalat and Shakhtar. So I thought maybe they are playing at the Tardini. And then another commentator said uh, a stadium in Bergamo would be ready. And, uh, and I thought, because they, it, it, 
they specifically said that the stadium had been readied for the Champions League to meet UEFA standards. And I thought mm. to myself, no, I'm pretty sure I read that it will be San Siro and they're closing the two ends behind the goals and it's just the sides or... I didn't know that. That would be odd. No, yeah, that's what... I, I'm sure I read that somewhere rather than heard that. I can't um, imagine that being the case because the, the old people want to go into it. Um, I don't know. That would be bizarre. If, the capacity is reduced for it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so tier, the, the top tier will be shut, you would imagine, because at both ends now, the middle of both ends are now not allowed to have people in them because of structural issues with the San Zero. So it makes sense to shut off the top tier, which we've seen Milan and Inter do for home games before as well in the last few years. But no, the original idea about the stadium, I think it's being renovated so that they can play European home games there in the future. But during the summer, there were talks that they were going to try and get the home games played there this year. But then they weren't on track to get it finished in time. They were going to just keep the, the bad end shut. But no, they're, they're at San Siro for the Champions League. And I'm not sure, probably the Europa League as well, if they end up in that after the group stages. But we'll think about that when it comes to it. But yeah, let's hope they can get a result tomorrow night. Yes, enjoy you guys. Um, Thank I you. I can promise you I won't enjoy it. I hate working at Atalanta Games, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'm happy to be there. My first ever Champions League game, so I'm quite excited. But anyway, right, um, head over to ForzItalianFootball.com, everybody. Read all of the stuff we write. We are doing a lot this season, especially around the weekends. Um, every match has a feature written about it, as well as the match report and the, the other bits. So... Get over to the website and read all the stuff. Kev has something about Liverpool, yeah, and AC Milan. There's a connection going up. I'll say tomorrow. I'll do that on the train. That'll be up tomorrow. Kev, do you want to brief people on that? Uh, well, you might need to change the intro as I wrote it after <laughs> Torino. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's just how how much Milan are starting to mirror the collapse. If well, we can call it a collapse of Liverpool in the in the early 90s, you know, and making similar mistakes regarding coaching appointments, playing staff, not getting, moving with getting the ground better and being able to commercialise some of the revenue or increase their revenue. So, yeah, that's roughly what it's about. Perfect. Um, I'll be writing about Parma and probably singing the praises of Dejan Kuluzewski again. So head over to the website for that and many, 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 many more things. So um, that's everything. Bye. Ciao, ciao.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.